Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within. Um, and I also want to let our listeners know we are living, we are live streaming on Facebook Live on Resiliency Within's Facebook page. So if you want to go see us in person, you can just go on to Facebook as well as listening to us on Voice America. So today our show is entitled Authenticity, I can't speak, Authenticity, Healing and Resilience in the LGBTQ plus community. And I would like to welcome my guests today, Vanessa Kettering and Rhonda Rogers, co-founders of The Way of Wellbeing. Welcome you two. I'm so happy that you're here at the show today. Oh, thank you, Elaine. We're really excited to be here on your show today. What a treat oh. to be with you. Thanks so much for having us. Well, um, I'm, I know that we're going to have a lively conversation and I'm anxious to hear about all the work that you've been doing in the world and for our listeners to know about it too. So let me say a little bit about the show and I'm going to do a, kind of a brief bio of both of you. I'm not going to, if I said everything about each one of you, we would just talk, be talking about your bios because the two Let's of stop. you are so accomplished. But anyway, they will share their experiences with the life-changing work from the early days of the Trauma Resource Institute to translating the skills for others in their community to find peace and resilience in a world full of heteronormative ideas and sometimes hostile or misinformed views. Their connection with TRI, which is a little acronym we use for the Trauma Resource Institute, tools of contemplative practice and positive psychology have not only transformed their work in higher education and the private sector, but also continue to inspire them on their personal journeys towards healing and also self-acceptance. The two have been in a committed relationship for over a decade and have navigated romance, business, travel, pet parenthood, and more. So let me share a little bit more about them. And again, if you want to hear a little bit more about their bios, you can go to the Voice America um, uh, page and see a longer version of what I'm going to say. But let me start with Vanessa. So Vanessa Kettering holds a PhD in positive developmental psychology with a specialization in health psychology and evaluation from Claremont Graduate University. Her research and, and applied intervention work focuses on e-health domain, where she specializes in the use of technology and lifestyle interventions to promote optimal health and human development. She currently serves as a lecturer in psychology in the California State University system. She now serves as the research and evaluation consultant of the MIR leadership team, and she's currently principal investigator of the sustainable recovery study that supports individuals in their first year of substance use disorder recovery. And Dr. Rhonda Rogers, and I just want to say many years ago, 10 years ago, she came and was an intern with me. And it was a time when the Trauma Resource Institute was launching. And I have to say how helpful she was oh, as we you. were in our, our beginning days, um, Rhonda. So there's a lot of fond memories of, of mm -hmm. you being with me back then. Mm -hmm. But you're a stress researcher, a meditator, 
a yogini and seeker of joy. Your re her research in mental and emotional self-management, MESM, addresses the biological need for nervous system regulation, as well as contemplative training to experience the body-mind as a path of healing. Rhonda holds an MBA from Pepperdine University, a PhD in psychology from Claremont Graduate University, and Rhonda's forthcoming book, I can't wait to read that, Rhonda, by the way, Where the Magic Happens, A Journey to Inner Space, chronicles her personal journey of self-discovery and resiliency building. She continues to refine and conduct research in the efficacy of the MESM program and teaches these methods in California um, at the at Cal Poly Pomona and the University of Laverne. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, just imagine if I read, if I talked about all the things you've done. That's that's a mouthful. You both you both have so accomplished. So as we're getting started today, um, I just want to ask you a, a few questions that we've prepared. And one is you two have been around for much of the growth of the Trauma Resource Institute. How did you initially find us and how has it informed your work since you've taken our trainings? And, you know, Rhonda, I'm going to start with you first, because, of course, that's how we met. And then you brought Vanessa along with you for the ride. And, and I'm so glad that both of you have been on the journey uh, together. Yeah, well, first off, uh, Elaine and her organization changed my life. Um, I, I came to this work out of necessity because... I was not doing well. I was a business professional uh, working a 50-hour week, and yet I had no idea why I couldn't sleep nights, why my mind raced endlessly. Um, I was having mental, physical, emotional health challenges. So I, uh, I went to a doctor who said, lower your stress. And I said, well, how do I do that? And she was kind of puzzled. She's like, well, <laughs> um, I can give you sleeping pills. And I was like, well, that's not going to cut it. I need something more sustainable. And uh, so I actually kind of segued out of a business career into grad school to investigate this quandary. Like, why am I so, in the current terminology, dysregulated? I had no idea I had a nervous system. I had no idea what to do about a nervous system. And I had the good fortune uh, during my graduate studies at Claremont Graduate University to encounter one Dr. Jeremy Hunter. He teaches a class called The Practice of Self-Management. And he has the intelligence to understand that the nervous system regulation is a big part of a stress. And uh, without the ability to regulate our nervous system, we really are lost in this game of, of, you know, relieving stress. And so Elaine came and taught as she was a guest lecturer in Dr. Hunter's class. And, and literally I spent, uh, what was a lecture, maybe half an hour. And yeah, not very long. I wrote down the tools and I started using the CRIM tools that afternoon because it made such complete sense to me. And it like, I, I don't want to hyperclaim, but I'm, I'm thinking within a matter of days, I had a much different um, reaction to the world because I had an awareness of what was going on in my internal environment. And it was so compelling that uh, as, as Elaine's already shared, I wanted to spend more time with her. I wanted to learn more so that I could incorporate the CRIM tools into my own research. And that's how our relationship developed. Yeah. 
And, you know, I think that, you know, when you say that, first of all, oh, thank you so much for such sweet words, honestly, Rhonda. And then, but I think that when we learn how to um, really read the nervous system, it's like, oh, it's like opening a book. And maybe when we talk about, you know, literacy and being able to read a book, you know, I see, I see my granddaughter who's six who now can read. And that moment when it kind of turned on for her and that how it opened up a whole new world for her. And so many of us now talk about the nervous system as having body literacy. And that when we have that body literacy and we start learning about it, it's like the awakening of a new world that we actually have some control over. And if we've had a lot of stress in our life, we may have been at times where we didn't think there was anything we could do to reduce that kind of stress and to learn that there are very, very simple skills. And the, and the community resiliency model skills are very simple um, that can help to help us all, no matter how young and how old we are across the planet, to, you know, my hope would be that everyone on the planet would have the same experience, Rhonda, that you did. So let me segue over to Vanessa. And here are you, Vanessa. You're, you were hanging out with this lady, and she's telling you about she's doing this stuff with Try. So can you tell me a little bit about your experience and, and how maybe learning the skills has informed your work since yeah. taking the trainings? Yeah, absolutely. So, and it was interesting when Rhonda signed up for Dr. Hunter's class, it's very popular course. And it was one that I had never taken because I was already into mindfulness. And so the recommendation was, oh, you know, you're probably already in the know, right? Um, and how wrong that turned out to be <laughs> when I found out there was a whole other angle of really being present with ourselves and understanding what's happening in the body. And, and I grew up actually with a background in mental health. My mother's a uh, has her PsyD and has seen clients. And so, you know, I, I did think I was in the know about the mental health space. And, um, and so I had the opportunity to take the uh, trauma resiliency model, the TRIM training, um, after hearing, you know, great things about the community resiliency model training as well. And uh, I remember the specific moment where it snapped in for me. Oh, I would love to know that. When was that specific moment? Specifically, <laughs> I did not not realize as, you know, kind of a really heady academic person that I was pretty much divorced from what was happening in my body. It was really more about the, you know, I could think my way in, into and out of a lot of things, um, but I, I was not really paying much attention. So in one of the activities, you know, where you set up and there's somebody across from you and you're kind of the quote unquote patient. And I remember practicing one of the skills, which is grounding and kind of tr also with the tracking, which is noticing sensations. And I sat back against that particular chair that we had in the room that day. And it was just a flood of sensation that I actually paid attention to, which I guess a neuroscientist would probably call a bottom-up sort of Approach. event. Yes, exactly. yes. Yeah. And so it was just so surprising to me in that moment that I felt the sensation and then I actually had a connection with a little bit of anger that came with it. Um, and, and it came basically to my mind that, you know, I wasn't used to feeling supported. Um, oh. So... Yeah. So for well, me, and, it was a, a, yeah, please. Well, and I think that's exactly what happens. And I think as we've learned more about the models, as we bring, brought them forward to so really thousands of people since 2010, when I first met, or I guess it's 2013, since I first met you all, 
is that it's really an integrative approach too. It's the bottom up. It's the using sensations as one of the portals of understanding. But when we do that, we can also then sometimes, oh, there's that feeling of anger. And that was connected to that sensation that I experienced and I was able to allow myself to experience. And then that also has a flood of cognitions, right? That we might think, oh, where did this come from? Oh, not being supported. And so I think it's really important that although we work the bottom up, it's really the integration of cognitive, um, effective feelings and also the very important portal of sensations that who knew, right? You could, we were so educated to know that if we started paying attention to sensations in our body, that it actually could lead to a segue of understanding not only ourselves better, but also in the work that you all have created, which I want to really kind of turn over now and talk more about us. So tell us about the story behind the way of well-being and some of your current projects. So I'll go ahead and start with Rhonda and then come back to you, Vanessa. So tell us about how did it start? And I love that, by by the way, I love the the way of well-being. I love the name of that because it is a journey, isn't it? That is Vanessa's brainchild. She came oh, up Vanessa, that. look at so, you. Yeah, yes. um, again, out of necessity, these tools were developed. Um, when I was um, researching my my passion, or, or so I thought at the time, was trying to get kind of these simple tools, which I learned from the CRIM model, into the business domain. Uh, and, and to create an intervention that a business might want to share with its employees. Um, that was a really altruistic hope. However, when when we kind of put together a mindfulness slash CRIM training, largely modeled upon what uh, Dr. Hunter taught in his class, and we wanted to present it in an eight-week format because don't you know that's what you know the the research bears is effective. You know, you need it takes a while to change. Uh, to become aware of sensations in the body and to develop the ability to, you know, work with them. It doesn't happen overnight. And for many of us, it's pretty scary when we first tap into this, you know, kind of un um, or subconscious type of work. So uh, we put together a lovely eight-week program and shopped it to several organizations and uh, they all politely declined. Uh, so, um, and and I understand I'm a business person. However, I what I don't understand is um, when we want to develop people, we we in the business domain in the literature, we're constantly talking about leadership and development, and yet um, we we don't really see that happening on uh, a business level. And so, rather than walk away defeated, I'm like, well, where can I reach business people? and get them get them tools that they need um and so i'm like well i you know i have an academic background what if i was able to teach this at the college level because our students go on to become business leaders and change agents so uh we shifted we pivoted as we like to say and changed from a business intervention a group level intervention into an individual intervention which really i love because when you give a student tools to empower themselves and to and to change their orientation to stress and to um, bring these skills into their workplace as well as their home life, then you're really making some change. You're you're getting buy-in from a, a group of people that desperately wants the skills. So 
what happened was we started working with, uh, as you mentioned earlier, contemplative practice. Like, how do we get this contemplative piece in? Because uh, Vanessa and I are both long-term meditators. And one of the things that we noticed was really challenging if you go, or in my experience, when you go straight in with meditation, that can be triggering. Folks can get really dysregulated. They don't understand the nervous system yet, um, specifically folks that have maybe some trauma history, something that is coming up in the nervous system in sensations. And so we wanted to come up with uh, a way to integrate your word, Elaine. Yes. Uh, and I love when, when Elaine approached us about the show, she's like, I think Krim plays really well with others. And what we have done is is taken the, the tools of Krim and utilize them in the space of teaching meditation. And the big aha for us is we can't meditate from a dysregulated nervous system. And the, you know, and this is neuroscience 101. When we're when we're operating from fight or flight or freeze, we're in the survival parts of the brain. We don't have access to the, you know, the the frontal cortex. We don't have access to these calm, rational, executive functioning parts of the brain, which is where we need to get to meditate. So um, we we you know the light bulb came on for us and. Uh, and that's how uh, mental and emotional self-management came about as, first off, a way to teach uh, folks in higher education, college students about these skills. And by the way, I, I, don't, I don't just deal with traditional undergrads. I also have adult learners. And so I am able to share these skills with people that are business leaders and leaders in their community. And um, so we give them the CRIM skills, but we also teach that as a way to also tap into meditation as a way to integrate this whole mind-body system. Well, so, and let me just say for our, our listeners that may not be familiar with CRIM, CRIM stands for the Community Resiliency Model. You can learn more about it by going to our host, the Trauma Resource Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. And there actually are some free offerings where you can learn the skills of the Community Resiliency Model. And we also have a free app called iChill that you can um, download on your app. And it's an English, Spanish, Ukrainian and we're working on Arabic and Japanese as we speak. So that's how you can learn more about it. But I really want to highlight before, Vanessa, I'd love to get your also take about the starting of the organization. But I think it's really important I want to highlight when you say that if a, if a meditator has a dysregulated nervous system, it may be hard for them to meditate. And I think that that is underreported because there's so many people that are teaching mindfulness. And many people now have a trauma-informed um, lens to treat mindfulness, but not everyone. And so I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that said, well, you know, you know, they say mindfulness helps, but it didn't help me. I just may not be the kind of person that can find that kind of help there. And that saddens me because what happens when we quiet our nervous system in meditation, if we have a dysregulated nervous system, the beating drums of our stress and trauma come up and we don't find the peace and calm that we seek. So what um, what Rhonda Rogers is talking about right now is so essential for any one of you that have tried to meditate and felt, well, it's just not for me. It may be. Because once you learn those regulation skills, as she said, it may give you that ability to be able with intention, it's also an awareness practice, to come to that place of well-being. So Rhonda, I'm so loved that you're sharing that 
to all the people that you're training. Because when I think of people who are in business, oh my goodness, the kind of dysregulated nervous systems you can encounter can be the whole class. Not to say that that could be true in many professions, but I think business is very difficult. So I want to go over to Vanessa now. And Vanessa, if you could share a little bit about your journey with um, this wonderful organization that you started. Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned a little bit about my background in mental health. And so coming into graduate school, finding a degree in positive psychology, I was really trying to understand yeah, what what is flourishing, what does well-being really look like? And so I had these different, you know, attempts during my graduate education. I started a wellness club with a dear friend, uh, Shanna Livermore, and we're still in touch and collaborate uh, when we can. And um, and so actually I started really looking into, you know, words do matter, of course, you know, they don't capture everything, but I was really looking at wellness versus well-being. And so kind of settled on way of well-being. And what I will say that one important thing to me when coming up with this name was that it's not really, there is one way of well-being, but that it's, you know, really that investigation of finding your own way um, and to really embody that well-being. So the the CRIM and our relationship with TRI really kind of enriched that understanding because I think previously I was looking more traditionally at, you know, diet, exercise, and, you know, things that can enhance our life in certain ways, um, but certainly can have deleterious effects as well if they're over overdone or misunderstood. Um, so I think for me, you know, the big deal was that experience that I had in the mental health system, that there wasn't much expectation of recovery, seeing mm-hmm. some different models and exemplars that showed actually by adding to your life, you know, there, there are different ways. And um, your model, Elaine, really spoke to me of just destigmatizing, right? We all have a nervous system. The nervous system is great at protecting us. And sometimes the way that it protects us is not necessarily um, adaptive, right, in our society, the way it's structured. So just kind of learning that that language of sensation and um, being able to hopefully, you know, bring that into everything else that we do. So it's not, okay, you know, here's your prescription, because certainly we all want that in some ways to make it really simple. And this is what you do every day. But really, it's more about that, you know, living the way and finding, well, finding and what I it just is. Love, again, I love the name of your organization, but I also think there's a synergy too, because when I first was, um, you know, when we were first conceptualizing the resilience zone, there were other terms that, that people were talking about, like um, the window of tolerance, Dan Siegel's model. And that didn't sit with me because when you even look at what the what tolerance means, because to me that 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 resilient zone, which actually what I really I oftentimes call it the zone of well being, which I didn't know if you knew that, but that's how I refer to it a lot now, and because even in Spanish, um, it, we decided to call it la, la zona de bienestar, and bienestar of course means well being, and because when you're there, right, it's like the vitality of being human. You can be sad, you could be, you can even be annoyed, but you can be happy and calm. But it's not it's not something that's what I would say tolerable. I would say it's something that is vital 
to all of us and to also experience those emotions where we still have our prefrontal cortex available to us that we haven't gone into the high zone or low zone as we call it, but that we can do that in that space. And I love the way that you described how you came up with the name and how well-being is really uh, you know, shared between you know what you all are doing and what we continue to do, because I do think that's what in the essence of what we're talking about. Because when we have that experience of well-being, then so many things are possible for us in our life. Um, so thank you also for sharing that story about grounding too. That's such a lovely story. So experience. So I'd like to segue into another part of the questions that we prepared. And um, we may have to continue a little bit of this after our break, but I think we can get started. But the two of you have came together and and um, and I would I'd like to ask you, and how do you balance being in a romantic relationship and a business partnership? You know, it's clearly I've seen you so many times together. You have this sweet energy between the two of you, and knowing that um, I, there was one time that I worked with my husband, and I was his legal secretary. It was a little different power dynamic, but I remember, oh goodness, there were times that it wasn't so sweet. <laughs> so. In any event, um, so this time, Vanessa, I'm going to have you, I'm going to ask you to start and then we'll go to Vanessa. We'll go to Rhonda second. Yeah, great, great question. And yeah, thank you uh, for that. So one thing that I think has been helpful and certainly, you know, we get to these things through some trial and certainly some errors. Um, but one perspective is actually to treat the each aspect of the relationship and each individual in the relationship as its own entity. So, you know, a traditional romantic partnership, you have each person and then you have the the relationship. So for us, we have probably four entities, right? Each of us, and we have our romantic partnership and then we have our, our business synergy. And so it really has been interesting, right? To navigate, um, there are times and uh, Rhonda's really great at this of kind of setting those boundaries, right? If we're out on a walk and enjoying the evening and I kick into brainstorming mode and, oh, hey, did you email this person back? Or, you know, those kinds of details. Sometimes we're able to just step back and think, you know, we're, we're okay. We don't really need to you know, work on that right at this very moment. So I think that's really kind of our resilience in action, right? To be able to to check in, decide when to step back and when to step forward. Um, and, you know, just making that time intentionally for each each aspect and component of, of what we have. So you kind of have a shared language as well, it sounds like, that you can you can speak this language of well-being to, to use the words that we're talking about. And when you get kind of get knocked into something else going, you know, I think it'd be nice for us just to look at the sunset rather than to talk about the emails that we have to answer, right? <laughs> because those also can be really uh, overbearing at times. So Rhonda, I would love for you to respond too, but we're going to be taking a break in just, in just a couple minutes. So I just really want our audience to know that um, you can, that we'll continue this conversation because of course we have to get Rhonda's way in. But I'm just wondering here as we're taking our, our little, we're going to be taking a break soon. If people are listening going, gosh, I'm going to find out more about their the trainings that they do and the work they do with um, with uh, university students. And maybe we'd be interested in learning more about how this could come to our, let's say, business or organization. Um, how What would be the best way to get in touch with you two? Our website. Uh, and way, can you, and way what is of it? wellbeing.com and wellbeing is hyphenated. So it's uh, well-being, wayofwellbeing.com. 
Okay, so I just want to say it again, wayofwellbeing.com with a hyphenated well-being, and you can learn more about the, the wonderful work that they're doing. So we're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back to continue this conversation of how they negotiate their romantic and business relationship. <laughs> Boy, I'm really, put, I'm really putting you on the spot today. Okay, <laughs> we'll be back in just, we'll just, we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine miller Karras book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. Elaine miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life. Your health. Your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I'm here with Drs. Rhonda Rogers and Vanessa Kettering, and we have been talking about their organization that they've started, which is called The Way of Wellbeing. I just want to say again that people can contact you through thewayofwellbeing.com with the well-being having the hyphen hyphen between well and being um, if they want to learn more about the work that you're doing in the world. But we were talking right before the break about how you negotiate your romantic relationship with your business relationship. And Vanessa just gave a very nice um, example, I think, Rhonda, of how you uh, remind her to come back into that way of well-being with her when you're on walks, for example. So would you kind of weigh into your perspective on that? Uh, absolutely. And for anyone who's in uh, a negotiation with a significant other, you know that there are times when our uh, our zone of resilience is narrow and our zone of resilience is wider. And uh, 
So I, I've really integrated the awareness that I learned from Elaine and the Trauma Resource Institute into my negotiations with humans, all humans, including Vanessa. And so I, I, I see her as someone who is always present, but maybe there are times when she's less available mentally or emotionally. And so one of the practices I do for everyone, my students, my colleagues, uh, my dear wife, is to kind of see what I can observe from her behavior. If, um, you know, is she breathing? We hope that she's breathing. Yes. Well, yeah, as, we both know as, CPR. Yes, yes. As, that as she's not holding of, her breath. Right. All right. Yes, I don't ahead. want to blow the punchline, but when <laughs> when you learn uh, crim skills, you will start to track your body. And one of the big things that we uh, utilize in uh, mental and emotional self management (MESM) is awareness of the breath, and it's uncanny how frequently we our breath becomes shallow, or we even hold our breath. And so uh, part of what I do as uh, someone who is using these tools for my own benefit is I also check in with other people just to notice where they're at in their zone of resilience. And so let's not open a heavy discussion when someone is clearly, you know, maybe in the high zone or the low zone or just harried, right? So that's rule number one is I'm aware of other people's nervous systems. What a concept. Um, and then... I, I really appreciate how Vanessa, you know, paid me a compliment. She's like, well, maybe this isn't the time to talk about business. We've taken it a step further because, you know, we all have great ideas that sh that kind of pop up from time to time. And I want to introduce to our, our kind of co-creator in a relationship. But what we have kind of had a standing rule now, it's like we have specific set times set aside for business conversations. And if we're not talking business, then let's let's not let's enjoy each other's company and and mindfulness has come up several times now mindfulness is about being present and being um engaged with whatever you're doing so eating a meal and talking business is not mindfulness i i like to break up my um, activities into mindful uh, activities rather than trying to um, maximize or multitask, which is what I did once upon a time. And it didn't work so well for my nervous system. Well, and I love the way that you talk about that awareness, because I think, you know, many people have shared, you know, the community resilience amount, the community resiliency model is an awareness practice. And that's how mindfulness and CRIM are cousins, right? We're related to one another. And there, there are both vehicles to getting to the same point of that, that way of well-being. And sometimes we need one in order to get to the other, but they're not incongruent with each other. I think that's what it's a very important um, concept. And you said at the beginning that CRIM plays well with others. And I think that once you can't, I, mean, I remember when I was um, in India, um, when we were doing the launch um, of the C Learning Program, where CRIM is chapter two of that program. And I was on the stage with children and I was interviewing them about the concepts that were being brought forward in this social emotional learning program that included the body, CRIM in chapter two. And so um, much of this program is about how we develop compassionate thinking and, and ethical thinking. And so this one little girl that looked like she was about 10, I said, well, what would you change about the C-Learning program? She goes, well, I think I would make chapter two, chapter one, because if you're not in your resilience zone, it's pretty hard to be compassionate. 
I thought, oh my gosh, from the mouth of children, right? You know, in terms of, and isn't that what we're talking about? That sometimes we need this before we can do this. And then there can be that wonderful um, intersection that we are all trying to promote greater well-being in the world and the different ways that we can bring our creative ideas to that, that those kinds of points of integration. So thank you for for the, for those those comments and and I think it's for all of us. You know, I can see tell you, you know, myself, my husband, and I will go. Oh my gosh, I am not. I'll say I am not in my resilience zone right now. I just need to go out by the pool. You know, I need to go for a walk or something, and then I can come back and have a conversation with him where I'm in a more balanced state. Or if that if there happens to be a time where I'm getting bumped into that high zone, I'm going, oh, Lordy, I better just pause for a second. And then I'm probably going to need to go apologize to someone because when we're in that high zone, we're not at our best self, are we? And it's part of that human condition, too, that we can learn what we did and what we want to do differently. And that's true in all of our interpersonal relationships. But I think you're right, is that I'm such a reader of nervous systems. And I, I shared this not long ago. My husband was having a surgical procedure. He was really nervous. He hates hospitals. So we were waiting in the preoperative room and I'm sitting next to him and I could see that he was he was moving his thumbs very rap rapidly. And when he does that, I know that he's under stress. Because I do what you do, right? You observe patterns. So then I started talking to him. I said, honey, do you remember that time we went to Lake Tahoe? That was the first year of our marriage. Do you remember when we were on the top of that mountain and we were looking at the lake? And he looks over, he goes, oh, that was a really beautiful moment. I said, it was, wasn't it? And all of a sudden he takes a deep breath. Now I'm not sitting there going, oh, I'm tracking your nervous system. And did you notice the deep breath? Because that would have been not quite the right thing to say at that moment. But I think that's what we can also do when we're in those partner relationships that we can pay attention. And sometimes we can do that conversational question that is also part of who we are. It's not contrived. And remember a beautiful moment when we're all maybe experiencing that little bit of stress. So I just love what you both said about how you help one another. So another question, are you ready for another one? And this is a little bit, might take a little bit more well, it's going to take some thought, but all of them take thought. But describe a time when you were at a choice point and you chose love, healing, or resilience over hatred and rejection. So, which I'm going to ask you this which one would like to go first? I can go first. Okay, go ahead. Um, interestingly enough, this is, this is a, a conversation that Vanessa and I often have how um, if I see some type of um, opportunity to share my story with other people and to connect one-on-one, -on -one, I run headfirst to it. Um, so Vanessa and I marched in San Diego, San Diego Pride, and there was, as always, a very vocal church group, um, a religious group that had some not so nice banners, you know, basically condemning me to hell. And uh, there was a man that was literally uh, in uh, right against the barricade and he was shouting something and I turned towards him and we locked eyes. Mm. And well, don't worry, what comes next is pretty damn cool because I my feet walked me to him and I looked him in the eyes and I said, I love you. Oh. And 
Vanessa. Uh, I, at the time, I did not know that she was watching all of this transpire, but we had a very brief conversation. And his take was, well, the Bible says this. And I said, well, that's fine and nice. The Bible says a lot of things. I want you to connect with me as a human being. And I want you to know that no matter what you think, I still love you. And the next thing that happened kind of shocked us both. Uh, we kissed. What? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and he held my hands and he said, God bless you. Oh, my gosh. You got tears in my eyes with that one, Rhonda. Oh, my word. And uh, what well, this is the, these are the <laughs> principles that I try and embody. I, you know, I follow various wisdom traditions that talk about, as you mentioned, compassion and yeah. love. And my personal belief is that these wisdom traditions are accurate. And, and that is where we need to direct our attention is to how we're alike, not how we're different. Yeah. And labels are so destructive. Yeah. I could have jumped on that same bandwagon and said, this is a hate group. This is hate speech. But fortunately, one person looked me in the eye and that was my moment to go and choose love. And, well, that's and I what also want to say that that took, in my estimation, also courage and bravery, because when you face hatred, sometimes we don't know what we're going to see or get back. Right. And that in that moment that you could be so authentically yourself and be compassionate towards him and that you touch the compassion in him. And I think that many of us live for those moments if we can do that with others. And I think I want to say I've seen when people are in that zone of well-being, the way of well-being, as we have talked about your organization, that there are greater, um, I would say, opportunities to walk in that way. They're not easy to walk in that way, but they're possible. And that's certainly an amazing illustration of that. So I, can I ask Vanessa a question? Vanessa, I can't, I think if it was me, I'm just saying, I might see that and going, I hope everything's going to be okay. I might've been a little nervous. I'm not sure. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. So what was your reaction mm -hmm. as you saw Rhonda go over to that gentleman? Well, Elaine, thank you uh, for confirming that that my reaction made a little bit of sense because yes, certainly, yes. <laughs> certainly was not my first choice for what my partner would be doing. Um, and of course, you know, unfortunately, um, that you know, before the parade, um, you know, they they had police snipers on watch, and you know, there's always a threat of of hatred and violence and. Um, and so, you know, it was already a choice for us. We got to march with a recovery group and, um, and so I, I was using my tools the whole time because we won't live in fear. I won't, I can't. And so, so I did that. It was a really beautiful, joyful day. Um, and yeah, there was that little dip in the, <laughs> in the action where I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're marching along. We have our sign. Uh, and I, um, looking like, where the, where did, uh, my wife go <laughs> and she's over with, you know, the, what I see as the, the rattlesnakes, um, and, and I and watch, she's not, she's talking to them and yeah. then she ends up kissing them. I mean, oh my, 
Yes. She approached a rattlesnake and made friends. So I am simultaneously impressed. I was a little bit angry with her for doing that because it didn't feel as safe to me as it did to her. Um, and, you know, I was able to work through that too and, and realize that sometimes our partners are going to do things that, you know, we wouldn't choose for them. And I'm sure Rhonda can confirm that <laughs> feeling is mutual at times. It goes both ways, right? But I, I guess I just want to say that I I hope, you know, I think you, we always hope that if I was in that situation, that I might do the same thing, although I don't know, I would hope to be that way, is that, you know, we talk about acts of bravery and would we have done that? Um, I I saw the Steven Spielberg documentary um, or, um, over the weekend I mean, it was made in 2017, but it talks about his journey about doing Schindler's List and what he had to face as a Jewish man um, with going into that horrific story. And of course, there's a story of people who didn't speak up, who didn't say anything. And then that kind of horror happened. But you wonder how many people, if they would have gone up and said, I love you, um, that it would have affected maybe not everyone, but someone. I'm reminded of a, a very famous image of the, my time of my youth um, was during the anti-war movement. And there were these um, guns pointed, weapons pointed at the demonstrators and a woman goes up with a rose. I don't know if you can remember that image, but it was pretty popular, still is, I think. But anyway, Rhonda, I have a deep bow to you for doing that. And also a deep bow to you as well, Vanessa, for being present with your partner and not running over to her and pulling her away before she had the conversation, right? <laughs> yes. That, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, it needs to happen and I'll be present even though I'm nervous mm -hmm. and to see what happens. But I mean, I can't imagine that that man would have been changed by what you did. And certainly I think I'm changed by hearing that story. And I'm certainly hoping that people who are listening that may, may have some of that hatred in their hearts could maybe see things in a different way that, as my guest last week said, love wins. And I, I hope that to be true as well. So thank you for that, that incredible experience. And I know that the Pride um, Festival in San Diego was just, was it last week or the week before? It was, this was recent, right? Yeah. All right. So are you ready for another question? I'm kind of a little bit going ah, a little tearful just hearing that story, but I'm just going to notice my nervous system and my hand to my heart and keep that, that wonderful experience now that you've shared with me and our audience um, close at hand to remember that. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing it. So what role does authenticity play in your personal life and your professional career? So what if we go with Vanessa first this time? Yeah, well, great question. And, and this was something that I think for me has really evolved um, coming through the, you know, academic training where a big part of that is actually distancing, you know, kind of your own perspectives and your own voice from what you're putting out into the world. So I really had to grapple with, you know, what would it mean to be authentic in those spaces and how can I still do work that I find really meaningful and maybe use this language that I've learned so that's been, you know, I think something that I've, I'm grateful that I was able to have some of those self-reflective tools to go through that, that process. And um, so for me now, you know, I, if I'm not being my authentic self, I feel it, you know, I can notice the tension and the, just that disconnect between being at ease and um, 
you know, being in, in certain spaces. So it has in some ways guided my career toward choices and paths where I can be authentically myself, which was a big part of starting way of well-being as well to make sure that I had that outlet to make those connections and uh, to speak about issues in my own own way. Um, and then also in the, the other work that I do as an educator, um, an out educator, um, because I think that's important you know, to me to be part of that representation for my students, um, you know, and just getting to really walk that, that line of authenticity. I really value that. And it's, it's certainly, you know, it's a daily, daily practice, just like almost everything else, right. To kind of think about, okay, what do I want to say here? How do I handle this? And, you know, it doesn't mean that we're the same person in every context, but it means that there's an authentic piece of me that feels good about how I'm showing up in those contexts. And um, so I'll just say one more thing about comparing a human to a rattlesnake. Um, I do value <laughs> our rattlesnake friends as well. Um, I had a yes. really quick story of when we were backpacking on the High Sierra Trail at 7,000 feet and I kind of pulled off trail for a moment and I had a, a little moment. I heard something slithering through the grass and I got to meet a rattlesnake friend that I was not expecting. Um and I named him Garcia Roberts. Um, and, you know, it just, it really catches you off guard. And again, the nervous system does what it's supposed to do and kind of got me, you know, um, paying attention. And then I just remembered like, you know, this is his space. And so I'm okay coexisting, right? With people that may have ill will or animals that might be dangerous to me. Um, and so I was able to give him some space and release him with love and get back on trail and, um, you know, kind of recover from, from that experience. So I think that was also a good, good experience. Just, you know, that it, knowing these skills doesn't mean we won't get upset or activated, but it means that maybe we have a different way to, to work through it and, and to breathe through it and stay present. Well, I, I think you're right. And I think that if we're using the, the rattlesnake as a metaphor, right, that, we encounter um, different things in our life that bump us out of our zone of well-being. And I guess there is that choice there about, okay, I can continue to be really scared. Or if I wonder if I stay within that zone of well-being, if I can negotiate even walking very carefully backward, not to, or staying still so I don't get bitten by the snake. And, um, but then also knowing that sometimes the awareness of that character can also say, well, I wonder if there is a possibility of a different character. Well, now with a rattlesnake, we know they do bite. But I think with the human being, we know that there's that capacity of self-reflection and that capacity to maybe experience another human being in a different way. And I think that when you say that I'm out to my students, that's also giving people that may be sitting there in the classroom that you don't know what their perspectives are because they're here to take a class, but they're getting to know who you are as a person, a compassionate human being. And then that may be giving them a different perspective than what they may have grown up with in the paradigm that was taught to them. And I think that's really how we, we change the world is through relationship and knowing, oh, well, she's not a scary person. She's not... She's not a person that I think is going to bite me or hurt me or ask me to change something about myself that I don't feel comfortable with. I mean, I guess I just so believe in that. And I've seen it, you know, I've traveled so much around the world. And I loved what you said earlier, um, Rhonda, you know, that common humanity 
that I've seen all over the world and that, you know, we may look differently. We may, we may love someone that you don't understand who we love, but we all have a nervous system that responds in the same way when we're upset and stressed and when we love and when we have compassion. And I always think if we can water that compassion and love within us, that that's going to spread. And, you know, those other kinds of things that happen in life will be more diminished because I think that love wins just like that goodness and well-being can win. So I just love what you all, you both are sharing. Um, but I also want to give, uh, you know, Rhonda, um, uh, an opportunity. Is there more you want to say about what role does authenticity play in your personal life and your professional career? Absolutely. And thank you, Vanessa. That was a great, great yeah. story. Um, for me, I, I grew up in a, in a time when, um, in a place where being in the closet was safer, but it wasn't honest. And, uh, and there's this uh, kind of, I don't want to call it dishonesty, but my nervous system knows when I'm not being authentic. Yeah. And that is a burden. That's a burden to carry. Um, so it fast forward to, to, and I chose to be out of the closet in high school. Um, and it was, sometimes it was dangerous because um, this was in the 80s and there was much, much even less tolerance and acceptance and understanding. But fast forward to today, when I show up in the classroom as who I am, I am a social model for all of the other people in that room who may be um, in a position where they're, they're being told that their sexuality is wrong. Um, they need to hide that. They need to do something differently. And that is not accurate. That is yeah. not true. So and I, so I you, want them to see me living authentically and to know that that is a possibility. Well, I think that I can see the authenticity and hear the authenticity in both of you. And the time has quickly run away. We only have a couple minutes left. So I want to thank you both very much for coming. And I can honestly and most heartfully say, you know, I just love that you brought the rattlesnake story into the equation, because I think this is another time I often end my show with what else is true. And I think you both are living examples of that, even if there has been hatred and there's been different um, ways that you've had to experience those rattlesnakes in, in your life that you've decided to take this path of compassion and well-being. So thank you both from the bottom of my heart. And um, how can people get a hold of you? We have just about a minute left, so you can say one more time yes. your way of well-being. Well, thank you so much, Elaine. And yes, please do find us well beingcom and we would love to just have you visit us or reach out to us. Um, and we also have some courses available so Rhonda can share about that. Yes, if well. you would like to uh, take a look at my website, that's basically a promotion vehicle for the book, <laughs> rondarogers.com, R-H-O-N-D-A-R-O-D-G-E-R-S.com. And we have links to courses and pre-releases of the book and some other cool stuff, podcast blogs. So I'm just going to thank you again, remembering what else is true. Please go to their wealth website, learn more about the wonderful work that they're doing in the world. And I am very happy to call you friends oh, and colleagues. And until, likewise. yes, and until we meet again, um, to my audience, um, this is Elaine Miller-Karras signing off 
for resiliency within. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within with host Elaine Miller-Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.